This morning we're going to talk about the Valley of Baca. How many of you have ever heard of the Valley of Baca? It's an interesting place because it's really a place that's hard to, hard to geographically locate. You know, some scholars have some ideas. There's a few references. We'll talk about that. But all they really know is that somewhere between Bethlehem and Jerusalem is the Valley of Baca. And what's interesting is that when you think about Bethlehem, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Birth of Jesus. And of course, when you think about Jerusalem, what comes to your mind? What's that? The temple, the crucifixion. And so in your life, you kind of have the Bethlehem where things are birthed in your life. God birthed something in your heart. He drops something in your spirit. He reveals something to you. He imparts something to you. But you want to go to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, that's where you worship the Lord. That's where you offer up the sacrifices. That's where you, you get into the, the temple of God, the presence of God, and you begin to see what God's doing and, and, and the manifestation and the fullness of that. But in order to get from, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, you have to go through the Valley of Baca. So let's talk about the Valley of Baca. Turn with me to Psalms 84. Now this Psalms, Psalms is a compilation of poem and poetry and writings from a lot of different authors. A lot of times we think of King David in the Psalms, but there's other people that have written Psalms and they put it together and added it to it. And this particular Psalms was written by the sons of Korah. Now, does anybody remember a guy named Korah, especially in the, in the uh, Moses' time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a big, there was a big uh, opening of the ground and ate him, right. <laughs> so here Korah, you know, he, he's getting a little discontent with Moses and what, how things are progressing along. And he's starting to, you know, say, you know, we can hear from God just like Moses. We can lead just as well as Moses. Moses hasn't even brought us into the promised land yet. We're still out in the wilderness. We're still trying to figure out where that milk and honey is going to come. So we, you know, we're questioning his leadership. We're questioning what he can do. And so he starts to murmur with other people, and he gets a guy named Dathan involved, and another guy named Abiram, I think, is Abiram or something like that. And he's getting all these people to kind of get this rebellion and this dissension. And they come to Moses, and they, they challenge him. And Moses, the fear of God hits Moses. Man, he just goes prostrate on the ground. He's like, oh, God, I know what's going to happen now. I know where this is going. 
And he, start, he starts to intercede for them. They're like, God, you know, have mercy on them. Because God's ready to just say, okay, we're going to wipe the slate clean. We're going to start all over with Moses. But Moses intercedes. God puts it in Moses' heart what to do. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have a meeting. It's going to be right. Everybody gets out in front of their tent. Make sure you light your incense. And we want everybody to come on out because if, if, nothing, <laughs> if nothing happens to, to Korah and Dathan and Abiram then, and they die of old age, then they are right and I am wrong. <laughs> and they didn't jump on that. I don't know why the Cora didn't jump on that right away. He's like, ah, I don't, you know, that doesn't sound like you know a good idea, you know. <laughs> well, see, his spirit knew, right? His spirit knew deep down inside something wasn't right. But Moses said, This is the plan. This is what you're gonna do. He didn't, there was no debate, there was no discussion. This is what we're gonna do, this is how it's gonna happen, so be it. So, of course, they go go to their tents. Here comes the morning. They're out there with their incense. Moses says, okay, if you're with them, go stand by them. If you're not with them, you may want to get away from them. <laughs> and so here's Korah. And the family members who decided to be with him. There's Dathan and his family who decided to stay with them. And Abiram. They're all standing in front of their tents, holding their incense. <laughs> Probably praying, oh God, <laughs> what did I get myself into? And sure enough, the ground. I mean, can you imagine that? Just watching the ground just open up. And it just swallowed up them, their tent, and anybody that was standing with him. Well, of course, this was passed on to generation to generation, and somewhere along the line, Korah's sons said, you know, I'm glad I wasn't, glad I wasn't a part of that. You know, it could have been a third or fourth generation by the time the Psalms was written. But what happened in that family, and praise God, there was some of them that really just, said, hey, we are not ever going to go against the temple of the Lord, the will of God here. And they made it a point that they are going to go after God wholeheartedly with all their heart. Praise God. And so they write this psalm, Psalms 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. You know, if you were out on a hot day and you're just sweating and working and you forgot to bring your cooler, you forgot to pack an extra water and you're just parched and you're, you just can't wait till you can get to that water because you just, you're, it's 90 some degrees, it's humid, you're just, you know, parched and you're just thinking about getting that cold glass of water. That's what he's saying. We're parched, but we want that water. We, we, it's so good. Our, or we're going to faint if we don't get it. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. 
Then he starts thinking about these birds that were in the temple when they were in there. And he, was because, he became jealous of the birds because the birds could fly around. Even the sparrows found a home. And the swallow made a nest right there in the, in the temple of God. Man, they're lucky. They can be in there flying around. Oh, I want to be in the temple of God. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they will sing, or they will still be praising you. Verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold, our, you are our shield. Look upon the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand, and as some translations say, better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. He saw what happened to those tents of the wicked, didn't he? I'll be, a, I'll be a toilet cleaner in the house of the Lord instead of dwelling in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord God will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Praise God. So let's look at verses 5 through 7. He says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. You see, in the valley of Baca, there's some things that you have to really understand to get through that. There's some principles here. And the principle number one is you got to know where your strength comes from. Each and every day, we've got to remind ourselves, where cometh our help? Where is our strength? So many times we, we wander off to do things and we try to do it in our own strength. We try to do it in our own ability. We don't take some time to pray or check with the Lord, is this what you want me to do or how do you want me to do this? But he says if you're going to go through this valley and you're going to make it, you've got to know who your strength is each and every day. My strength comes from the Lord. And then your heart is set on the pilgrimage. You see, we, in Peter, he says that, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, 1 Peter 2.11, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. See, we're, we're on a pilgrimage. You know, a lot of times, the, the problem that, that, that the Lord has to, to work through and deal with in a lot of people's lives is they're not looking for the kingdom of God the way he wants them. In the Lord's Prayer, he said, Pray, my kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
What does that mean? That means that this kingdom, this earth here isn't our home. We're on a pilgrimage. No matter what we can do down here, no matter what we can acquire down here, no matter what we can accomplish down here, it's temporary. It's going to fade away. The Bible calls it like a vapor of smoke. You ever see a car backfire? Boom! And all of a sudden, this big cloud of smoke is in the air. And then, just fades away. You didn't even know it was there. And our lives are kind of like that. So why live for just down here, right? Why just have our mind focused on the things down here? The Bible says we are seated with Christ. Set your affections on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And seek those things which are above. See, that's part of our pilgrimage. Then he goes on to say here, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. See, this valley is a desert place. So there isn't a pool of water. There isn't a river of water. It's just a desert area. So one of the things they would do, and I would think uh, Dave Haunton would probably do this if he was traveling through the Valley of Baca, they would dig a hole in the ground. They would dig this hole, and then they would try to maybe create kind of like a, a, a block basin, if you will, because they know that water will eventually pass through. Rains will come through this area. The rains will come, but I want to create something that will allow to contain and capture that water and hold it in a place because I know that I'm going to be traveling through this valley, and as I travel through this valley, I'm going to need some water. So I need to make some springs. I need to make some areas that can contain that water so I can be refreshed as I'm going through the valley of Baca. Then he says here, the rain also covers it with pools. See, that rain's going to come. And what's going to happen is you're going to have all these little wells, if you will, all along the path. And then the rain's going to come. And what's going to do, it's going to fill these wells up, and it's going to create all these pools. And if you're out walking in the desert and you go, oh, look at a pool. What are you going to do? You're going to go right in it. you got water to drink. You're going to refresh yourself. You're going to have what you need to continue through that dry and desert place. Because if the rain comes and there's no pool, there's no spring, it just runs off. Sometimes in our life, if we don't make some room for God in certain areas in our life. We don't create some cavities, if you will, in the spirit where God can fill. When his anointing comes, when he releases that rain from heaven, it can't soak in. It can't get to where it needs to go, and it just runs off. So he wants us to create those wells where the water can pool. And then it says they go from strength to strength. That sounds like a good place to be. 
You know, some, unfortunately, sometimes people are just struggling and they're going from, you know, strength to weakness. Oh, Lord, I'm just hanging on. I'm going to hang on as long as I can, you know. And, but they're in that place where they're, they're, they're not finding the pool of refreshing. But he wants us to go from strength to strength. So that each one can appear before God in Zion. Amen. So this place, this Valley of Baca, the word Baca is an interesting word because some translations, and you might see it on yours, have it as weeping. Now, if you were Hebrew and you wanted to say the Valley of Baca, you would say it a little differently. God bless you. You would say it. Let me see here if I can get this letter. Strong's H, 1056. Baha. Baha. Yeah, there you go. Baha. <laughs> Got to roll that a little bit. Got Baha. <laughs> how are you, you doing today? What's, what's going on in your life? Uh, Baha. <laughs> You're in the Valley of Baca. <laughs> I'm having a Baha day. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of Psalms 30, verses 1 through 5. It says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you have rescued me. You refuse to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave. Oh, Lord, you kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. You might be in the Valley of Baca tonight, but as you're looking to the Lord, as you're yielding and leaning into him and trusting in him and connecting with him, it may be weeping for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. Don't live in the weeping, but it's important. Even Jesus said in Matthew or chapter 5, he said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this mourning thing, it's, it, it is a part of our walk with God. It is something that we do experience. It is a, a healthy part of us if we maintain it through the principles that I've mentioned in the Valley of Baca. We do sometimes have to mourn to deal with things, to get to the root of things, to get to the place where we're willing to change. If we can get there quicker, we don't have to, we don't have to stay there longer, right? 
But it's, it's really the place of change. It's really the place where God is, is doing some things, where God is rearranging some things, where God is preparing us for some things, where God is setting us up and getting us ready because we're going again from Bethlehem when something has been birthed in our heart, something God has released to us, something God has spoken to us, and now we're journeying our way to Jerusalem where we can consummate that and have a fullness and a manifestation of that. But in that process... We have to go through that valley of Baca. And God has to deal with some things. I'm reminded in Luke chapter 4. Here we have Jesus coming to John the Baptist. And people are getting baptized. And John the Baptist sees him. And he sees the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And then there's a voice that echoes over the people, and it says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Wow, not bad, eh? <laughs> Stay tuned for further narrations. Everything's going good. He's getting water baptized. He knows this is the beginning. He's full of the Spirit. There's an anointing that's released upon him. It's like, you know, get ready, go. The birth has taken place. But before he can go out, he had to go to the Valley of Baca. And so the Spirit led him into the wilderness. That verse always bothered me. Why? Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> But it was a valley. It was a valley. It was a place that he had to go through. And we know that when he went there, he fasted for 40 days. And in those 40 days of fasting, there was a yielding. There was a dying to the flesh. You know, the, the, the hummus images had to die. The, the fresh-cooked pita bread had to die. All of those things had to die because he had to learn how to just focus in on his father and shut down all the natural influences, appetites, and things that would try to pull on our flesh. And then after 40 days of fasting, the devil came at his weakest time when he was hungry and tired. The devil comes and says, you're done fasting. Time for you to have some food. See this rock over here? I know you have a lot of power. I know you can do some things. Turn this rock into bread. And again, that was something that always kind of messed with me because theoretically he was done fasting. Like he could go ahead and eat now. But he said something. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You have to chew on that one for a while. You see, what the Lord was needed to know is he needed to be in a place. And sometimes as you're going through the valley of Baca, 
the things that are in the natural, the things that are what make you comfortable, the things that seem like they provide for you, the things that seem like they work out for you, the things that you can kind of lean upon and uh, have a backup plan and trust in and rely upon. Sometimes God allows those things to be removed from your life. And in those times when those natural things become removed from your life, that friend who was always there who's not, that spouse who was always there that's not, this situation, this job, this, this bank account amount of money, this car, whatever it is that was there that you could kind of rely upon, all of a sudden is not. And now you're in a, an uncomfortable place. You have a place of need, a place of hurt, a place of discomfort. And you're wondering, why, 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 why? And it's not that God makes people do bad things. People do bad things because they yield to bad devils. <laughs> but there you are. And you're like, God, you're so great and powerful. Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you let something like this happen to me? I've been going to church. I've been paying my tithes. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. Why am I going through this struggle? Because you're heading to Jerusalem. And you're going to know that I am your God, that I am El Shaddai the God that's more than enough. Because I want you to know that as you go there, you don't trust in your job. You don't trust in your finances. You don't trust in your circumstances. You don't trust in other people. You don't live by those things. You live by my words. What does my promises say to you? For my promises are yes and amen. And so Jesus had to go through that valley so that he would not trust on anybody because people would turn against him. And as a matter of fact, when he went, when he went to the cross, here he is that day driving in on, riding on a donkey. Children are throwing branches on the ground saying, Hosanna. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. He was being praised as a king, and the children were praising him, and it looked like this was marvelous. But within 24 hours, he was going to be tortured. Everything was going to change drastically. Even his first message, he gets up, opens up to the book of Isaiah, starts reading, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, feeling the anointing upon him. And all the people got up and rushed him. And wanted to throw him off the cliff. If you all got up right now and rushed me to throw me out onto Highway uh, or onto Janesville Road, that would shake me a little bit. I'd be praying in tongues or something. I'd be doing, Lord! The Bible says Jesus just passed through their midst. He wasn't all worked up. He wasn't screaming and hollering. He just had peace in the midst of the storm. But see, he went through the valley of Baca. He dug a well in the valley of Baca. 
that well had some water in it. And he could draw from that water in the valley of Baca. He could go from strength to strength right in the midst of that situation. Then the devil takes him, puts him up on top of a pinnacle and says, if you be the son of God, jump off the temple. So here he is. Can you imagine, the, can you imagine if I was like way up all the way to this? Watch out. You got, you got me? <laughs> I'm way up to the ceiling. And I jump off of here and I just like, just casually smoothly, graciously land to the ground. Thank you. You got me. You got my back. Would you do that? <laughs> okay. But in the Valley of Baca, one of the things that the Lord has to deal with in us is the craving for attention. Jesus would have did that. Of course, they would have said, oh, he's magnificent. He's, you know. And all this attention would have been brought to him. That's why sometimes he even, when he healed people, he said, don't tell anyone. Of course, they go out and tell everybody. <laughs> but he didn't want to draw attention to himself. Because he knew that there would be a time and a place where he would be exalted, but that wasn't the time. As a matter of fact, they were going to make him king once, and he, he had to kind of slip away in a boat and go across the other side. And they went all around the whole lake trying to get him because they wanted to make him a king. And so there's always this, you know, in children, it's interesting. You see it in little children. I, we have grand, uh, grandkids, and... Uh, we had our two granddaughters over a few Saturdays ago, and one of them, they were getting dressed because we were getting ready to go somewhere, and so one of them comes out of the bedroom and comes up, and I'm ready, and I say, oh, you look nice. She smiles. Then the other one comes up, but she did something really different with her hair. She was the older one. She kind of, you know, did something real fancy and had a little bow or something, and I said, oh, you look you look very nice. And the, the younger one said, her face went frowning. She looked at me. She said, you didn't say I look very nice. <laughs> oh, but you do, honey. You do look very nice. Okay. All perked up again. There's just something in us from even a little on that just loves to have attention. We love somebody to pat us on the back. We love somebody to recognize us. We love somebody to make us feel good, to make us feel value or worthwhile. And unfortunately, we deal with so much rejection in our society. Even the fathers uh, reject their sons, and it's created so much violence, and so many kids are out there doing some crazy things. Why? Because they want attention. They want somebody to recognize them. Some people will go, I'm going to kill a bunch of people so everybody will know who I am. There's this craving in us that wants attention. But if we're going to go to Jerusalem, he gets all the glory. 
God gets the glory. There's nothing wrong with healthy praise and, and giving recognition and all of those things. That's, a, that's important, and that's showing appreciation and honoring one another and preferring one another and things like that. But from us individually, the Bible says in Proverbs, don't seek the praise of men because it's a trap. That's where these Pharisees were all, they were supposed to be the religious leaders. They were supposed to be bringing the word of God. They were supposed to be leading the people closer to God, but they were so entrapped and enslaved with the praise of men that they sought the honor of men rather than the honor of God. Many moves of God that started out pure and started out powerful and started out holy were moving greatly, and all of a sudden the leader in that group just began to think it was all about him. And it killed the thing, shut it down. I'm reminded of the story of Philip the Evangelist. Here Philip the Evangelist is inspired by the Lord to go down to Samaria. He goes down to the city of Samaria and he starts preaching Christ to them. The whole city gets on fire for God. They're getting saved. Revival broke out in the city of Samaria through the evangelist Philip. And people are bringing their occult items and they're having a big bonfire. And people are getting saved and people are getting healed. And he's doing many miracles. And then John and Peter hear about it. They come, and they start to get people established, get them filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know Philip is like, this is great, man. I'm just going to, I'm buying a home and I'm buying a home in Samaria. I'm moving into Samaria. This is where I belong. And guess what the Spirit of God does? He says, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. What? Acts chapter 8. So he gets on a chariot, and he rides out into the desert. But, but Lord, I'm part of that revival. That revival was because of me. That revival, they need me there to keep it going, Lord. Don't you know that? Go to the desert. So he goes to the desert on his chariot. Not many cars on the desert. <laughs> Not much going on in the desert. Oh, wait, there's a chariot. Oh, he gets going a little faster, gets up a little closer. Here's an Ethiopian Enoch inside the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, and he doesn't know what it means. Hey, what are you reading over there? Oh, I'm reading Isaiah the prophet, and I have no clue. Can I join my chariot to you? And so they hook up, and he begins to share the gospel with him. And he leads him into the Lord. And he says, hey, there's water right here. You want to get water baptized? And he says, yeah, let me get water baptized. Now, in Ethiopian Enoch, you have to kind of think about who this person is. I mean, this person is, is a part of the queen of Ethiopia, and, and he has connections, and he has resources, and, and he has a lot of things that he can bless you with. And this is a great hookup. Maybe I can go to Ethiopia and start a revival there. So he baptizes the man in water. When the guy comes up, the Spirit of God picks up Philip in the air. His chariot is left behind, and Philip is carried by the Spirit off to some other place. No recognition, no extra blessing, nothing. Just 
He was there, and then he was on his way. And uh, as we go through the Valley of Baca, sometimes the Lord just wants to deal with that trying to please men and trying to get our attention to us and seeking the praise of men. Because when we, when we go into those places and we, we yield that, then we get the honor of God and then that creates a spring that God can fill. It creates a cavity. It creates a place where God can fill with his presence and we can experience more of him. You know, Paul went through this. He was like, man, I go to a city and I'm, I'm the man of the hour. I'm the man of faith and power. I'm just moving in the spirit. And then all of a sudden, they get a group against me and they come after me and I'm being whipped. I'm being stoned. I'm being beaten. And he's like, you know, why do I got to keep going through this? You know, I'm, one minute I'm having great success and the next minute I'm, I'm being terrorized. Why? And he says, I sought the Lord. Three times, you got to take this away from me. But the Lord said, in your weakness, you'll be made strong. In those hardest, most difficult, most challenging times, I will be there. I will show up. I will manifest myself in a greater measure. And if you receive that, if you open up, if you make a spring for me to fill that spot, I will come and I will fill it. And in that time and in that weakness, you can glory more in me than anything else. In the valley of Baca. Then the devil takes Jesus and he shows them the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if, now we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. But I got a deal for you. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> Just, you know, get on your knee. Say a little worship to me. Just a little one. And I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was there. Because he wanted the kingdoms of the world so he could bring them to the Father. That was his desire. That was his passion. That was his heart. How am I going to get to that? You know when kids are playing these little games like shoots and ladders? You know, they got these little, you roll a dice or spin a dial and you get a number and then you got to go certain spaces. And oh, they get so excited when they get to that ladder or that slide and they can go, they can just skip all this track and just move right up the game. You know, it's like, woo. The devil tries to create those in our lives. You don't have to obey. You don't have to die to the flesh in this area. You don't have to yield. You can just go right here, and I'll just shoo, right to the front of the line. It's interesting because Matthew talks about, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. But if you read the same account in Luke, he says, I will give you the authority. Authority is a very interesting thing. Because we have authority in Christ. It's part of our inheritance it's part of our position of who we are but then also authority is something that we earn in the sense of how we yield if we humble ourselves and 
under the mighty hand of God. What does he do? He lifts us up. But that humbling under his mighty hand, Lord, Lord, your hand is getting a little heavy right now. That hand is just a little heavy. No, you need to go down lower. Oh, okay, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down even a little lower. But, oh, it's so heavy. But what he's trying to do is get us to submit to his authority. Because that centurion, what helped his faith? He said, I'm a man of authority. I am a man under authority. And I recognize you're a man of authority. And I'm a man under authority. And I'm coming to you submitted under my authority, submitting to your authority, knowing that your authority supersedes and is more powerful than anything else. So I'm submitting to your authority. Just speak your word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. A man that understood how to submit to authority. A man that knew how to humble himself that way. Allowed his heart to be in such a, a receptive place where faith could rise and operate. I have not found so great faith. No, not in all of Israel. Because that man knew how to humble himself and submit to authority. And Jesus had to go through that valley of Baca. See, when we get excited about what God speaks to us, God reveals something to us, and we want to go, and we want to be like Joseph. We want to tell our brothers. We want to tell everybody, I got the coat of many colors. I'm going to be ruling over you. That doesn't work real well. You haven't paid the price. You haven't shown that submission qualification that I'm able to submit, I'm able to obey, I'm able to follow instructions. And it's hard. We've all been in that place where, you know, you're in the workplace and somebody gets promoted into a position because they're the boss's kid and they haven't paid the price. And they're making decisions and they're doing things and it's like rubbing you the wrong way because, you know, it's just wrong. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be a proper way of things being handled. God doesn't want us to be that kid. He wants us to, in the Valley of Baca, learn how to submit to his authority. Learn how to put our own agenda down. Learn how to put his, let God's plans be first. Now, what's interesting in this is, you know, after, you would think on the surface, after Jesus' experience in the desert, that like, you know, every time he sees a desert, like, I'm not going over there. I didn't have fun over there the last time. I'm going to stay away from that place, you know. But in Matthew's gospel, it says that after the devil left him, after he went through these Valley of Baca experiences, the devil left him, and then angels came and ministered to him. They fed him food. They brought food from heaven. If an angel could bring you a meal from heaven, what would it be? <laughs> oh, here, let me, let me wipe your drooling right now. i got to wipe your mouth. <laughs> and it says many times that Jesus would go into a desert place and commune with his father. You see, what happens in the Valley of Baca 
when you find those, when you dig those, those springs and those waters come and it fills those pools, then you want to go into those places. You want to be refreshed in those places because Jesus said, him that is thirsty, let him come, let him ask, and I will give him drink, and that water that I give him will well up within him, and it will become a well inside of him, and it will spring out of him. So Jesus went in there because he was looking for the pool. I'm going to find my father's pool today. I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to soak it in. You know, what's interesting about the Valley of Baca is that it doesn't really refer to that in a direct way, but there's an indirect way that it does refer to it in the Scripture. When David was anointed by Samuel to be king, he had to go through 14, about 14 years, I believe it was, 14 or 15 years, he had to go through this, uh, you know, he... he he was being chased by Saul. He was being attacked by Saul. He, here he was anointed to be king. God called him to be king. He, he was going to be the king. And some people saw it and some people didn't. But Saul wanted to kill him and he was always on the run and he was always in this test. He was in the valley of Baca. And in this valley, he learned some things. He learned how to trust God. There were times where he could have killed Saul, but he knew, I cannot do that. I cannot assert my authority. I touch not the anointed. And then finally, after all these years, he becomes confirmed as king. And these kings hear about it, and they get excited. And so they put together gifts and all kinds of things, and they send their, their, their entourage there. They send their, uh, their, their group there, and they say, let's bless the new king because you are now the king. But then the Philistines heard that he was confirmed as king. And they weren't too happy about it. As a matter of fact, they wanted to challenge this. They wanted to attack him right away. So the Bible says that in, 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 uh, in uh, 1 Chronicles 14, you can read about this, verses 7 through the, the rest of the chapter. In 1 Chronicles 14, verse 7, it starts talking about uh, a little bit further down. It talks about the Philistines and how they try to mobilize an army. They get this group of army together, and they go and they attack. Well, here's the interesting thing. When they go to attack, what they do is they set up an attack... In the valley of Rephaim. And they called this valley Rephaim because it was named after one of the giants or the, a tribe of giants. Because back in the old days, you know, they had those giants that were in the promised land. They had to get those giants out of there. Well, there must have been a tribe, a group of giants called the Rephaims. And they must have been in this valley and so they named this valley the Valley of Rephaim. And so here the Philistines come and they attack in this village or in this area and they set up their, their little stronghold and now they're going to go after David. But God, David goes to God, he says, God, what should I do? And God says, go get him. 
So he gets his army. He goes down there. And, I mean, he whips up on them big time. He whips on, on them so bad. You know, one of the things that armies would do that was kind of a superstitious thing is when they would go into battle, they would bring their idol objects with them, thinking that that would bring their God with them to help them in the battle. So they brought all their idols with them into the valley of Rephim, and David came in there in the name of the Lord, whipped up on them so bad that they just left their idols right on the ground and took out. And it meant so much to David. I've struggled so long, all those years, knowing that I I'm a king, knowing that I've been anointed a king, knowing that I've been called for this purpose, but I couldn't walk in this. I couldn't operate in this. I couldn't exercise what you have given me, called me to do. But today, today I am a king. Today I'm able to do what you've called me to do. That David named the place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord breaks through, or he's the Lord of the breakthrough. Well, the Philistines, you know, they lick their wounds, and they say, well, okay, we're going to come back for another attack. They come back to the same place. David says, Lord, what should I do? Should I go after him? The Lord says, no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go a circle around them. Come up behind them. I want you to go into the mulberry trees. Now, some translations call it the balsam tree. But the Hebrew word there is baka. The reason why is because the tree has a sap that it drips, and it's like a teardrop. And so God tells David, go by the trees of Baca and wait. And as you're waiting, wait until you hear the sound of troops marching on the leaves. When you hear the sound of troops marching on the leaves over your head, then go! And they're sitting there. And now God shows up. God leads them out into battle. God takes them out there. And they just whip up on the Philistines right there. So what that tells me is that in the valley of Baca, even though it's a desert place, even though you're going through trials, even though you're going through things in your life where, where you're struggling and you're dying to your flesh and you're, you're overcoming things and you're learning how to let go of things, it's in that place where you're going to overcome your giants. It's in that place where you're going to walk in your calling. It's in that place where God's going to show up in a supernatural way and you're not going to do things in the natural. You're going to do things in the supernatural through the valley of Baca. So you might be dealing with some things in your life. You might be going through some struggles and you don't know why, 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 why. Why does this hurt? Why isn't this connecting? Why isn't this working? But God's in the midst of that. He's right there in the midst of it. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forgotten you. And he says, okay, I, I, it, it, the hard part that we struggle with that is because we know God is all-powerful, and all he has to do is go, stop! 
and it's over. And we're like, why aren't you just stopping it now? Paul and Silas, they're having a great move of God in Ephesus. They're doing all kinds of awesome things. Here comes a woman a div, a full of a spirit of fortune telling. She starts saying, these men are the men of the most high God. Follow them. She's trying to associate herself. That, that demon spirit is trying to associate himself with that ministry to give it credibility, to keep it alive, to keep its business going. And Paul's like, no, no, we're not going to have any of that. And he commands that spirit out of her. And she can't tell fortunes anymore. And in the morning when he woke up, he was having the move of God, and God was doing great things. But by the late afternoon, he was in a prison, beaten, stocks, in the, in the dungeon of the prison, where all the human waste kind of travels through there, locked up in that place. He's in the Valley of Baca. But what does he do? He sings praises. He sings praises to God. Paul and Silas begin to sing praises to God. If you're in the valley of Baca and you're in this place and it's hard and it's a struggle and you want to get out of that place, you want to get some strength in that place, then I just encourage you, begin to worship the Lord. Begin to sing praises to God. Don't sing praises to God. Well, I'm going to praise Him right now so this can end real quick. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. Oh, it's still there. No. Get into worship. Forget about your struggle. Forget about this life. Forget about the natural things. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm going to heaven someday. There's going to be a day when I remember no more any of the garbage that I've ever had to go through down there. There's going to be a place in heaven where I'll never have another natural physical need again in my life. There'll be a place and a time where I will be living in total joy, total happiness. Nothing will interrupt that ever again. No interruptions. It's the premium channel. No interruptions. <laughs> We're looking forward to that. But now you're in the Valley of Baca. So just worship the Lord. Let go of the natural things. Don't seek attention. And submit yourself to the authority of God. And you'll dig a well. And then God will fill that well with living water. And you'll go from strength to strength. And you'll be able to stand before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, that you're with us. That even in the, even in the desert, even in the shadow of darkness, Lord, we don't have to fear any evil. Lord, that even in the, in the situation, even if we ourselves were part of the blame of the problem we're in, Lord, your anger will not be with us forever but your favor will last forever. You may weep for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Lord, I pray right now for each and every one of us that whatever we struggle with, whatever we're weeping, whatever valley of weeping we're in right now, Father, I pray that we'll find that comfort in you. Lord, that we'll find that strength in you. Lord, that today will be the day, today, tonight, 
this week. Now will be the time, Lord, where we'll be able to allow you, Lord, to be able to fill a pool with water. Lord, that your grace will fill that gap, will fill that hurt, will fill that void. Just say this prayer. Say, dear Lord Jesus, you went through the valley of Baca so you could be with me when I go through the valley of Baca. So I cling to you. You made it through so I can make it through. So I cling to you. No problem, no situation, no circumstance can separate me from the love of God. That's in you, Jesus. I cling to you. I receive from you right now. You're my pool in the valley of Baca. And so I release to you right now whatever struggle, whatever hurt, whatever problem, I release it to you right now. And I thank you, Lord, that in my weakness, there's strength in you. And I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen.